It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 364 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Diablo Overload. It is June 17, 2022, and this is Jen. I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm not sure how long this will take, but um, I actually did homework on this. I went and looked at all of the videos that I personally have watched all the way through, or almost all the way through in some cases, that talked about Diablo Immortal and the monetization. So I'm going to start with, um, there's one by Josh, Josh Strife Hayes called The Immoral Design of Diablo Immortal. Um, and let's see if I have the right video in front of me. Yeah, that's what it's called. It was published on YouTube on June 9th. In this one, he shows the various pop-ups that the game puts on the screen, encouraging players to spend real-world money for in-game items. The first daily kill reward is, quote, designed to build habits to create attachment and encourage daily replay. So that's one. And then after that one, he did a video uh, called The Immoral Design of Diablo Immortal Legendary Crest addendum after he found out that this is again Josh Strife Hayes on YouTube. This one was posted on June 10th and he said that um, it's it's an update in which he discovered a sneaky thing regarding the Eternal Legendary Crest. So that's a thing. In between all of this, we've got on June 5th, or I guess before all of this, a Forbes article titled How Diablo Immortals Pay-to-Win Microtransactions Are Ten Times Worse Than Genshin Impact. Genshin Impact is not made by Activision Blizzard King, but it does have a lot of those little gotchas in there. I'll read you a little bit of this. This was written by Paul Tassie. Uh, in the wake of players discovering that Diablo Immortals Endgame is wholly pay-to-win, where, quote, winning in a Diablo game is making a powerful build, I heard a common argument, quote, well, this is just how gotcha games work. You just don't get the mobile scene, end quote. He continues, sure, I'll say there are many other games, particularly in the Asian market, that goad players into spending hundreds thousands, tens of thousands of dollars chasing power, but I will also say this feels particularly bad because it's Diablo, a series that we have experienced for two decades without this kind of uh, pay-to-win, P2W system, so it feels that much worse. However, even compared to other high-profile gotcha-slash-mobile titles, Diablo Immortal is still going above and beyond with its microtransactions in a way that is far, far worse than most other games in these genres. I want to compare Diablo Immortal to Genshin Impact, a mobile-slash-gotcha game that is one of the most successful in the world, pulling in $3 billion in revenue and seemingly the type of game you'd want to emulate. But while Genshin Impact has been accused of being somewhat stingy in the past, it's nothing compared to Diablo Immortal, not at all. He talks about the crests, the legendary crests, uh, compares these things to uh, Genshin Impact. If you don't play Genshin Impact, it might not mean as much to you. But I think the overall thing is that it's uh, it's widely known or uh, opined upon by many people that Diablo Immortal is a money grab. So that's kind of what this is. And everything I talk about will be linked in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com if you want to check out the rest of the article because there's just not enough 
time in this podcast to read everything <laughs> word for word. So moving on, we have a video from uh, Echo Hack called Botting is Not the Problem in Diablo Immortal. That one was uh, posted on YouTube on June 10th. And he provides uh, some examples of botting and also gives Blizzard solutions that would benefit actual players as opposed to like, and I'm summarizing this greatly. I highly suggest you watch all of these videos because they're very informative by people that know what they're doing and have played Diablo Immortal probably, well, I think with Echo Hack specifically in like alphas and betas and stuff. And so these are people that know what they're talking about a lot more than I can explain it to you. So I'm just kind of going to point you towards their efforts and their uh, content. So in any case, if I'm understanding it correctly, bots are not the problem in some ways because bots don't actually pick up loot. They just sort of, you know, do other things, but they don't seem to be picking up anything. And in addition to that, it appears, if I'm understanding this correctly, that maybe Blizzard might try to make things more difficult in a way that would harm actual players instead of the bots. But Echo Hack had a different idea of how they can catch the bots, so you might want to check that out. It's pretty interesting. There's a rather long video. It's like, oh, how long is this one? I'm not even sure, but it seemed it seemed kind of long, but it was very informative and it went by quicker than I thought by Bellular News on YouTube titled, No Way Diablo Immortal has even more cash grabs than we thought. This was released on June 7th of this year, again on YouTube. And in that one, there's two hosts of the show and they point out the cost of all the bundles in Diablo Immortal that are offered to players. And then they did the math on how much all of this would cost a whale to buy all of the bundles. In addition to that, they start talking about the psychology behind this and how marketing experts know what to do to encourage people to buy that product and why they need it or make them feel like, in my understanding of this would be, it's like fear of missing out kind of thing. So... Go watch that. It's very informative as everything else I'm going to mention uh, as far as the videos and stuff. And then on June 10th, we have Rex Antarax, who you may know from Max Roll, um, and he's a streamer. And I've watched some of his streams, and he seems pretty chill overall, but uh, he's got a video for on June 10th on YouTube that says how I reached the cap on everything in Diablo Immortal. And he literally just takes you through all of the options that are available to players in Diablo Immortal and explains why he's stuck at a point where he cannot do some of these other things. He seemed a bit frustrated and I can see why. It's a relatively short video and he does like kind of draw on the screen to show you, you know, exactly what he's talking about. So if you feel stuck too, this might be something that you might relate to. Wowhead has an article titled Diablo Immortal Challenge Rift Leaderboard Perspective and Commentary written by Medieval Dragon about six days ago from the time I'm looking at this. It's talking about, uh, there's a table of contents in here. There's uh, information about the top Challenge Rift leaderboard players for each class, uh, class writer commentary, necromancer comments, guide uh, class guides for Diablo Immortal. Uh, there's some disclaimers in here. And it's talking about like the builds that you want based on what character you want to play. So there's a lot of information on like the gems and, and stuff like that and what level. And then there's some other commentary as you go. It's pretty interesting if you're if you haven't really started yet, or if you started with the class and you're kind of not very enthusiastic about how it plays, you could possibly switch to another one. Um, and this might guide you a little bit through that. Then we have Asmongold, and he posted a video on his 
uh, Twitter channel about why he got banned on Twitch. And in short, uh, what appears to have happened based on this short video that he put out on YouTube is he was playing Diablo Immortal. He had the chat going in Diablo Immortal at the bottom of the screen. If, if you haven't played it um, or if you haven't noticed, there is a running chat of anyone in that area that can post anything they want to post and it'll appear on your screen. I'm thinking of Baron's chat in World of Warcraft from back in the day and possibly still, but um, that kind of thing. And apparently what happened is while he was streaming, he turned to pull a blanket closer to him or over him or something like that. And in that second, somebody in the chat used the N-word. We all know what that word is. And so his, his chat started telling him on Twitch, hey, you know, that's what happened. And uh, he kind of went, well, it's, it'll be off the screen in a couple seconds. And it's possible that people saw that as dismissive, but it would go off the screen in a couple seconds based on how fast the chat was going. I'm going to assume he knew how fast the chat was moving. And uh, so his one of his channels got banned. And then later that same day, it was unbanned. So <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happened, but if you are a streamer and you are streaming Diablo Immortal on Twitch, you might want to go through the settings and turn off the chat. I do not stream on Twitch. I do make videos of Diablo Immortal, which I've been trying to edit and you know, using some of Apple's stuff, and it's, it's working um, for the most part. But the first thing I did as soon as I saw what was in the chat is learn how to turn the chat off for my videos. So you might want to do that just go into the settings and poke around and you'll find that so you don't end up getting banned on twitch even temporarily for this sort of thing um just a heads up on june 14 the washington post wrote an uh, article titled diablo is about how anything is corruptible enter diablo immortal and they have a picture of a phone with diablo immortal on it someone playing a wizard and uh, there is a fake credit card sort of looking like it's being inserted directly into the phone screen, you know, because that's kind of how it's working. This was written by Gene Park and Gene Park wrote this. The most enduring image of Diablo, the 1996 PC game, is a cathedral with red light bleeding out its doors and windows. Places of worship are viewed as sacred. That's why churches are so often the setting for horror stories. The juxtaposition of purity and holiness against dread and corruption is like the contrast between two primary colors, timeless as it is easily understood. But the red energy emanating from the Diablo Cathedral highlights a running theme throughout the story of the games that anything and everything can be victim to corruption, temptation, and evil. Does a little review of the games there. It's kind of an interesting way to put it. He writes, The first game ends with the hero becoming Diablo, a.k.a. the Lord of Terror himself, no matter how strong or noble players imagined themselves. The humans of Diablo lore, who live in a world ironically called Sanctuary, have demon blood within them and are constantly fighting their true nature. Le uh, Leia, Leia, Leah... Leah? Leah? I'm going to screw this up forever because I'm dyslexic. A main character of Diablo 3, who was basically portrayed as a Disney princess, becomes the embodiment of the Lord of Terror in the world of Diablo. Anything and everyone is susceptible to perversion. And uh, kind of goes on from there. Uh, but in 2022, many longtime players are seeing the sanctity of the loot chase corrupted by Diablo Immortal, the latest and fourth game in the series that's pivoted to a free-to-play, pay-to-win monetization structure. 
That is, in essence, the controversy and outrage surrounding the latest game by Activision Blizzard, a company with a long history of making the world's most beloved role-playing fantasy games that, in recent years, has been beset by allegations and lawsuits surrounding worker abuse and sexual harassment. I'll get to that soon. Now the company has thrown its most revered fantasy franchise into the mobile market, which is often criticized for predatory consumer practices. Make no mistake, Diablo Immortal is a pay-to-win game in that players can spend money to increase their power relative to other players, something that the previous three games had not done. Through its marketing, Activision Blizzard developers have tried to stay ahead of the controversy by claiming the game does not sell gear or level boosts. This is pure spin, says the writer of this article. There are many ways to spend money to gain more power ahead of players who engage with the game for free, much of it explained through hundreds of videos from YouTubers are YouTube creators capitalizing on the outrage against Diablo Immortal. And it goes on from there. And I'll leave you to read that if you care to read the rest of it. Uh, we also have a, a thing here from Activision Blizzard, which was actually posted on June 17, 2022 by Eric Alt. And I thought, well, some of the art in this kind of relates to the throwback to Diablo uh, original and all that other stuff. So it's titled How the Brahm Family Made Diablo a Family Business. Now, if you've ever owned any of the Diablo calendars that came out a while back, a lot of the art in there was from Brahm. The creepiest stuff was from Brahm. The uh, face of the face on the early boxes of the games, you know, the skull with like the shattered kind of head with, you know, with a soul stone or whatever it was. That's Brahm. Okay. And he has two sons who are both probably adults or close to it. And uh, their names are Devin and Killian. And um, so there's this thing here about how dark fantasy and macabre are a family business for the Brahms because they all kind of do, well, they all do art. They all do this kind of creepy, awesome, amazing art that we all love to see in the Diablo games and horror movies and, you know, whatever else. Um, so it's pretty neat. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I feel like this is something you should read yourself if you want to. It's got some quotes from each of these people and some art. The art I described was, it says in here, the cover art for Diablo 2. So, you know, I'm talking about the Dark Wanderer, that whole thing. And it's it, pictures of the family and, you know, and just really cool pictures. And there's also a video uh, that came out during BlizzCon Line. If you watched any of that, there was a video called Gothic World of Brahm, and uh, one of his sons, Devin, interviews his dad for that for BlizzCon Line 2021. So if you missed it, it's still there, and I remember watching this before, and it was pretty good. So it's something at least positive to look at, you know, the cool art and the family doing it, like a whole family doing this stuff. It's pretty neat. Maybe not the whole family, but at least one of the sons is certainly making art. I'm going to move on a little bit here to uh, Microsoft, which, as you probably know, is intending to acquire Activision Blizzard King sometime soon. So there's another Washington Post article, this one written by Shannon Lau. It's titled, Microsoft Enters Agreement to Respect Activision Blizzard Unionization. And there's a picture of like the four colored squares of Microsoft with like a black and white picture of someone's fist going up in the air like you know fighting for a union kind of thing um so here's let's see this was uh june 13th that this was posted microsoft said monday it would respect the rights of activision blizzard workers to join a union and would enter into a so-called labor neutrality agreement with major media union communication workers of america which has been helping video game workers organize if microsoft's acquisition of activision blizzard is approved the new labor agreement 
agreement will take effect for the video game giant 60 days after the deal is finalized. Activision Blizzard announced Friday it was entering bargaining and negotiations with a group of Raven Software quality assurance testers. Those testers have spent months demanding recognition of their union, the Game Workers Alliance, which is supported by the CWA. The labor neutrality agreement, quote, means that we respect the right of our employees to make informed decisions on their own, said Microsoft President Brad Smith in an interview with the Washington Post. Quote, it means that we don't try to put a thumb on the scale to influence or pressure them, we give people the opportunity to exercise their right to vote to choose by voting. It's something that's respectful of everyone, more amicable, and avoids business disruption. I, if I had to guess, and I can't prove this, but if I had to guess, uh, business disruption might refer to the walkouts that had happened at Activision Blizzard King at, that we've heard. But you know, you've seen people do the walkouts. There's been at least three. You know, that could be what they're referring to. The agreement puts into writing what Microsoft has stated in the past. In March, Microsoft told the Post, meaning the Washington Post, it wouldn't stand in the way if Activision Blizzard recognized a union. In May, Xbox head Phil Spencer told employees in an internal all-hands that he would recognize Raven Software's newly formed union, according to a Kotaku report. Unlike those previous statements, this agreement is legally binding, according to the CWA and Microsoft, and it goes on from there. So, at least it seems to me if you are someone who is working for Activision Blizzard King and the whole grouping of those companies gets acquired by Microsoft and you know whatever regulators look at this think yes this is fine go ahead do it you might be able to be in a union soon maybe 60 days after whenever this thing goes through possibly the New York Times also has an article about this titled Microsoft Pledges Neutrality in Union Campaigns at Activision. Uh, this was written on June 13th by Norm Schreiber and Karen Weiss. And I'm sure that this is probably similar uh, to what I just read. I'm going to see if there's any like key points in that. that uh, let's see. Through the agreement, workers will have an access to an expedited process for unionizing overseen by a neutral third party in which they will indicate their support for a union either by signing cards or confidentially through an electronic platform. Now, I have heard, and I can't prove this either, that the electronic platform is not necessarily confidential. Um, so signing cards maybe would be a way to go. I don't know. Um, there's a... Quote here, uh, quote, this process does give us and Microsoft a way to do this quote unquote election without spending the time, the effort and the controversy that goes along with an NLRB election. Chris Shelton, the president of the Communication Workers Union, said in an interview, the union said that the neutra neutrality agreement resolved the antitrust concerns it had with the acquisition and that now supported the deal, which Microsoft has said will close by the end of next June. So there's more in there, but that's, you know, some of it. The Wall Street Journal picked this up with an article titled Microsoft Agrees to Make It Easier for Activision Employees to Unionize. This was written on June 13th by Aaron Tilley. And uh, let's see, it's probably got some of the same stuff in here as well. Earlier this month, Microsoft unveiled a set of principles aimed at demonstrating its willingness to work with unions. The company said it wouldn't discourage employees from using their legal right to form and join unions and wouldn't try to complicate the process of unionization for its employees. The principles marked by 
marked Microsoft's latest attempt to carve out a position distinct from other technology companies on a sensitive subject in the industry. U.S. tech companies have long avoided unions, and some have tried to discourage employees from joining them. Microsoft reported a global workforce of more than 180,000 last year. None are currently unionized in the U.S., Talks about Raven. We've already talked about that. Uh, the agreement could also help Microsoft get ahead of objections on the Activision deal. Earlier this year, a group of U.S. senators sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission asking the agency to scrutinize the deal over its impact on workers. It goes on from here. There's a lot of stuff in there, but you get the main idea there. And then we have CWA, which posted this on June 13. Uh, CWA, comma, Microsoft announced labor neutrality agreement. I'll read you a little bit of this. Uh, written on June 13. Today, the Communications Workers of America, CWA, and Microsoft announced they have entered into a groundbreaking labor neutrality agreement. The agreement will apply at Activision Blizzard beginning 60 days after Microsoft's acquisition closes, and it reflects a fundamental belief by both or organizations that enabling workers to freely and fairly make a choice about union representation will benefit Microsoft and its employees and create opportunities for innovation in the gaming sector. And there's some quotes in here that I think have been in other things as well, but that's kind of the idea. So it sounds like that could be a thing. And then, just yesterday, Kotaku has an article titled, Activision Blizzard clears itself of any wrongdoing. The Call of Duty publisher says it's the victim of an, quote, unrelenting barrage of media criticism. This is written by Ethan Gatch uh, just yesterday. Nearly a year and a half after an explosive lawsuit by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing kicked off a firestorm of sexual harassment and discrimination allegations at Activision Blizzard, a board of directors working group investigating the company has released its findings. It's the board of directors for Activision Blizzard. Okay. Led by a 25-year veteran of the Call of Duty publisher, the group concluded that there never was any, quote, systemic issue with harassment, discrimination, or retaliation, end quote, at Activision Blizzard. Quote, contrary to many of the allegations, the board and its external advisors, did they really have external advisors? I don't know. Uh, have determined there is no evidence to suggest that Activision Blizzard senior executives ever intentionally ignored or attempted to downplay the instances of gender harassment that occurred and were reported, the Workplace Responsibility Committee wrote to shareholders in a June 16 SEC filing, quote, while there are some substantiated instances of gender harassment, those unfortunate circumstances do not support the conclusion that Activision senior leadership or the board were aware of and tolerated gender harassment or that there was ever a systemic issue with harassment, discrimination, or retaliation. These findings are aimed squarely at refuting allegations in the DFEH lawsuit and those raised in a November 2021 Wall Street Journal investigation. The latter reported that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek failed to report a 2018 settlement with an alleged rape victim at Call of Duty Vanguard maker Sledgehammer Games to the company's board. The report also claimed Kotek threatened to have his female assistant killed in a 2006 voicemail and interfered to prevent 
prevent the co-head of Call of Duty Black Ops studio Treyarch, Dan Bunting, from being fired for alleged sexual harassment. An Activision spokesperson told the Wall Street Journal at the time that Kotek had always kept the board informed, apologized to the assistant for the hyperbolic language, and that Bunting was properly disciplined when the incident occurred. However, the Wall Street Journal reported that he resigned from the company shortly after it asked about the allegations. Goes on from here. The board's summary says its investigation was based on email communications, contemporaneous notes, and other source documents, as well as fresh interviews with current and former employees. But the board members don't go into much more detail about the extent of the investigation, how it was conducted, or what raw data was furnished to outside consultants like former EEOC chair Gilbert Casellas, or Casellas, who concluded that there was, quote, no widespread harassment pattern or practice of harassment or systemic harassment at Activision Blizzard or at any of its business units between September 1, 2016 and December 31, 2021. So it decided it was innocent. Gee, how did that work? Hmm. And then um, The Verge has an article from the same day, uh, yesterday, the the, uh, 16th, and it's titled Activision Blizzard Investigated Activision Blizzard and Found Activision Blizzard Didn't Do Anything Wrong. Oh, and it says the media made them look bad, too. This is written by Ash Parrish. And, um, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'll read you a tiny bit of this. It starts with, amid all the news on Overwatch 2 and Diablo Immortal, Activision Blizzard's had, Blizzard has filed a document with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission in which it affirms that after an internal investigation, it concluded its own board did not fail to act, or did not fail to act when presented with allegations of harassment. Quote, Contrary to many of the allegations, the board and its external advisors have determined that there is no evidence to suggest that Activision Blizzard senior executives ever intentionally ignored or attempted to downplay the instances of gender harassment that occurred and were reported, Activision Blizzard wrote in the filing. The report does, does acknowledge there were problems within the company and that such a conclusion does little to address the concerns of those harmed. Quote, indeed, a single instance of someone feeling diminished at Activision Blizzard is one too many, it wrote. However, in a report from one of the consultants, Activision Blizzard engaged to review harassment filings and the company's responses. The document said, quote, based on the volume of reports, the amount of misconduct reflected is comparatively low for a company the size of Activision Blizzard. It's kind of strange to say in one breath, one is too many, and then cite a consultant saying it could have been worse. And I'll let you read the rest of that if you care to. So that's a thing. More shenanigans from Activision Blizzard. I'm going to move over here in to D4 stuff because we did get a lot of that this week as well. One of the videos that's on YouTube is from Riker uh, on June 11th. It was titled Confirmed D4 In-Game Shop, but will it be pay to win like Diablo Immortal? And one of the things that he talked about was, you know, those things. Um, Let's see if I can find where I put that. There it is. He started out by saying, the game is sitting at a Metacritic user score of 0.5 out of 10. Major criticism of the game is its monetization. And then he starts talking about Diablo 4 that I think was, you know, recently uh, mentioned a lot by Blizzard. In regards to Diablo 4, Nineball, uh, Nineball Gamer on Twitter, uh, who does West March Workshop podcast, wrote this on, what was the date here? June 11th. 
He wrote, with the rumor that there will be a D4 announcement at the Microsoft Showcase tomorrow, it's more than coincidence that the pre-register has now gone live on the D4 website. They can't announce the release date without unveiling the last class, right? And then wrote, hashtag necromancer, please. And there is a pre-registration thing that um, he's got a screenshot of. It looks like a phone uh, screenshot. And um, it says, you know, Diablo 4, Return to Darkness, Action RPG, pre-register. And it looks like you can pre-register on Xbox and PlayStation and Battle.net, possibly. So that's, there's that. The next day, June 12, the Diablo account wrote, The Necromancer Rises, puts a little, like, emoji gravestone with a little heart on it. Command the dead with the final playable class in Diablo 4. And there's a little trailer video that is 2 minutes and 31 seconds long. And it's really freaking cool. Um, it's really, really cool. I I love the Barbarian. I play a Barbarian a lot. But I'm looking at the Necromancer stuff going, you know, that might be fun too. So I might, I don't know, I'm kind of in between on that. There is, um, of course... A link to there's like an official website a blizzard website about d4 sign up for updates return to darkness there's a gameplay trailer we've seen before with like three classes in it and then it goes over all of the classes so you can kind of take a look at them um and there's like little videos where you can explore sanctuary the strongholds talks about pvp there's the cinematic trailer with lilith we've seen there's um uh, Legends of Creation stuff with like some art. There's some developer updates in there. And at the bottom, it's got Lilith holding a skull that looks like maybe Diablo. And it says, accept your fate. Sign up now for a chance to be included in future beta tests and to get the latest information about Diablo 4. And there's a button you can click to sign up for updates. So that's there as well. On June 12th, a little bit before, well, maybe right around the same time as this, the Blizzard website had a Diablo 4 post titled, All Hell Breaks Loose in 2023, Diablo 4 is Coming. And there's some pictures from, like, screenshots from the game and some developer showcase stuff that was in the other stuff that I just mentioned. I'll read you a little bit of that. During the 2022 Xbox Games Showcase event, we told the story of an unremitting conflict between the Burning Hells and the High Heavens, foretold the return of Lilith, Sanctuary's demonic creator, well, one of them, uh, and shared scorching hot details around the next installment in the Diablo saga, Diablo 4. Before you read further, we are excited to announce that Diablo 4 will launch in 2023 on Windows PC, Xbox One X or S, Xbox Series X or S, PlayStation 4 slash 5, and will host cross-play and cross-progression for all platforms. Guess what's missing? That's right, it's not on a Mac. Yep, it's not all platforms. On console, players will also, may also slay demons side by side with a friend through couch co-op. We have another bone-chilling announcement in addition to the Barbarian, Druid, Rogue, and Sorceress. The fifth and final class available at launch is the scythe-wielding purveyor of death, the Necromancer. Um, and then it's got some uh, you know, gameplay of that. There's some really awesome art in here. <laughs> Uh, with the necromancer and the skeletons and it's just creepy and moody and awesome and um, I'll read you a description of the necromancer that's in this because I kind of thought it was cool as a priest of Rothma known by outsiders as a necromancer the word death evokes a sensation of power potentially even excitement when it graces their ear the legendary summoners bend blood 
bone and darkness to their will, and subjugate the ranks of the undead to carry out their bidding. Unknowing adversaries who pick a fight with this death-defying class will quickly learn they've made a grave mistake, for they are darkness in its wake. They said they have a casket full of news to share with you about it, and there's uh, different things in here. Um, You can also, there's character customization. There's art in here that specifically says not final. I'll read you this paragraph. The denizens of Sanctuary are a diverse people. We wanted the same diversity to be reflected in the hero you build or you bring to life. And thus, whether you set off into Diablo 4 as a barbarian, druid, necromancer, rogue, or sorceress, you'll be greeted by a fleshed-out character customizer offering a plethora of options. This level of player choice doesn't just reside in aesthetics. It is also seen in the expansive skill trees for every class, each offering endless ways to rip through the burning hell's forces with your hero. And so there's, you know, a whole bunch of stuff about uh, social systems in here and all this other thing, endgame offerings. It's it's a lot. It's It's pretty exciting. And then there was the quarterly update for Diablo 4, which was on June 13th, and there's a lot in here. It uh, is written by Joe Shelley, game director for Diablo 4, and it's got an even bigger piece of art with the necromancer standing on a crypt or something, and all these skeletons and one of these big golems behind him, and maybe a... I don't know, some building or something off to the side. It's really, really good. Yeah, so uh, they're going to look at the final class, uh, final launch class, the Necromancer, in this one, now that it's been announced on the big screen. Uh, Just kind of read over some of that. There's the trailer again in here, and then there's class features. We kind of know what those are, I think. There's a video here that you can watch on YouTube. Uh, the about the quarterly update blog and it says necromancer weapons inventory so it's kind of looking at that specifically you can read over this if you don't know what a necromancer is or if you're not sure if you want to play one you're thinking about it a lot of this is you know what we'd expect if we've been playing it for all these years i mean i for one started with diablo one i played a little bit of diablo two back in the day i've picked it up again recently but kind of dropped it because i've been playing diablo three and now diablo immortal a little bit um so anyway there's a lot there's a whole lot of diablo going on (laughs) you know diablo overload right and anyway so there's a book of the dead (laughs) literally a book of the dead where you can pick like what kind of skeletal stuff you'd like to inflict upon enemies that kind of thing and it's it's not final none of it is final but it looks really super cool and i'm kind of leaning towards a necromancer for d4 probably that could change i mean stuff could change between now and 2023 but Anyway, um, so we have on Twitter a verified account by someone named Gothelion. Gothelion? I'm not sure how you pronounce this. He wrote, Diablo 4 looks great. Excited for this to not have mobile-style monetization. Full cross-play is huge, too. And Adam Fletcher, who is Pez Radar, global community lead for Diablo, Diablo Immortal, and Blizz Heroes at Blizzard Entertainment, responds with this. D4 is coming out as a full-price game built strictly for PC-slash-console audiences. Again, no Mac. The game is huge, and there will be tons of content after launch for all players. Paid content is built around optical cosmetic items and eventually full expansions. We will be sharing more info soon. So there's that. Um, We've got an article here on GameSpot, a feature article 
written by Timur Hussein. It's titled How Diablo 4 Reinvents Necromancer, Encourages Customization, and Deepens Endgame. And there is a close-up of Lilith's angry face at the top of this article. Um, it is an interview between Rod Ferguson, who is the lead of the Diablo franchise, and uh, Diablo 4 director Joe Shelley. So... Um, they're being asked questions by, I presume, uh, Timur Hussein. So you can read the interview if you want to. If you don't want to, there's also a video out somewhere about this. And then we have a press release thing from June 12 on the Activision Blizzard website about this. I, I don't think there's much difference in here than anything else that I've already read, but... Um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of a lot of stuff. There's a couple of quotes in here that are kind of interesting. Quote, we can't wait to open the gates of hell next year. The talented team behind Diablo 4 puts gameplay first in everything they do. And they have built the biggest, most ambitious vision of Sanctuary yet, said Mike Ibarra, president of Blizzard Entertainment. Quote, this sprawling world draws deeply from the dark well of the franchise's 25-year history and is designed around the philosophy of player choice, offering an adventure unlike anything Diablo players have experienced before. So that's kind of neat. Um, there's some screenshots and stuff that you can get from like a thing or something you know eventually and then we've got uh there's i should have put this earlier but i just found this at the end of me putting together show notes uh there's a change.org petition it is titled diablo immortal aggressive microtransaction reform it is posted here by ben palladino who wrote this in 2018 blizzard entertainment inc and netease inc announced diablo immortal for late 2018 and then there's a link to that announcement diablo immortal was officially launched on mobile devices along with the pc beta on june 2 2022 again a link to that diablo immortal has a very controversial announcement as reported by various news outlets and the overwhelming disappointment by fans since the release of diablo immortal players have discovered the enormous amount of microtransactions in the game microtransactions in mobile games are purchases are our purchase players, there's some typos in here, but that's okay, can make in-game to unlock additional features, advantages, ad removal, and more. And although Diablo Immortal does not display ads or have brand endorsements, it does have an aggressive microtransaction system, including a subscription service, multiple battle passes, and one-time purchases. A battle pass, we know what a battle pass is. Diablo Immortal has incorporated many tactics into manipulating or forcing its players to purchase microtransactions to continue upgrading their character for the activities present in the game. Blizzard Entertainment and NetEase made announcements early on about how equipment or gear for your in-game character would not be monetized with microtransactions. This means, and this next part is in bold print, there would be no advantages for a player that is willing to spend money over a player who chooses to play the game without spending money. Money. That's in bold. This is often called a pay-to-win system, which means if a player spends money, they have an advantage over other players. Equipment and gear in Diablo Immortal can be upgraded with gems, an item that you can socket into a player's gear or equipment to increase their attributes, making you a more powerful player. These gems can be acquired in two ways, finishing rifts or purchasing them in an in-game marketplace using platinum. In bold, platinum is one of the few in-game currencies that players spend real money on in order to acquire. 
Very little currency is given to players in game free of charge, and it is usually just enough to afford to almost afford an in-game item as a way to manipulate players into purchasing more with real money. And then in bold again, they've really got this planned out. The second way to acquire gems is by using crests and legendary crests, both often requiring a purchase with real-world money. There are ways to obtain a limited amount of crests in the game for free, but it is very minor. One free regular crest is given to a player each day. A crest or legendary crest, we know what these are, Elder Rifts, the whole deal. The game is designed in a way that when a player gets to a certain level, typically 60 plus, I don't know if you can go over 60, honestly. Uh, the gems are the only real way of increasing their equipment or gear. This is imperative if players want to continue playing the game. Otherwise, their in-game character will die very easily, making many activities in the game unplayable. And then there's uh, a percentage chance of different gems and, and things like that. It's got a whole bunch of stuff in here. Uh, the ratings on it in the App Store. It goes on and on and on. And they wanted... Um, people to sign the petition and uh, I might not actually link this because it has picked up my address like where I live in the United States so I'm not going to actually link this one so I'll just have to do with reading it to you at the time I'm reading this they have 356 people who have signed this petition and they want to get to 500 they're about three quarters of the way to 500 Honestly, I don't think any of this, no matter how many players go ahead and put their name on it and sign this petition, I don't think this is going to actually change anything about Diablo Immortal. I think that game is what it is. I don't think anything is going to convince Blizzard or Activision Blizzard King to knock out the monetizations going on in there. But, you know, people are mad and uh, this is one way to express it, but I don't think it's going to have an outcome that they like. And that's everything that I found in between last show and this show. And I'm going to close out the show here um, pretty soon. I want to point out, since we're in June, which is Pride Month, Shattered Soulstone does have uh, art on Redbubble. It's the Shattered Soul Soulstone logo with the rainbow behind it. Um, you know, supporting everyone who's LGBTQ, including myself, because I'm non-binary and we fit in there somewhere, right? <laughs> Maybe it's the Q. I'm not sure exactly. There's no N in there. But so if you want that, it's on shirts and phone cases and mugs and all the other stuff you expect on Redbubble. And I'll put a link to that into the show notes. I might already have it in there. Um, so yeah, I'm going to close the show out now. You have been listening to episode 364 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo uh, 3 for sure are both named Shattered Soulstone. Um, and I am working on trying to get a clan type thing in Diablo Mortal, but it takes a certain amount of currency and, you know. Once I get that done, and the one in Diablo 3, they're open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.